a man accused of groping several women in downtown Chicago while riding a motorized skateboard, of all things, is back in court today. We're going to focus not on him, though, but on the stories of the women he attacked and what they tell us about the challenges that people face when reporting sexual assault. So joining me now is Block Club Chicago reporter Melody Mercado. She's been covering this story. Welcome, Melody. Thank you for joining us in studio. Thank you for having me. And also with us is one of Melody's sources. Mallory Littlejohn is legal director for the Chicago Alliance Against Sexual Exploitation. Hi, Mallory. Thanks for being here. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. So I'm looking to you first, Melody, for the backstory here. When and where did these alleged assaults take place and, and what exactly happened? So um, they kind of happen in, in different various spots, but all centralized in downtown, mm-hmm. either along the uh, the Lakeshore Path or along Michigan. And a lot of the women that were um, unfortunately targeted um, were either walking home, doing regular things, walking home, walking their dog, just trying to get some fresh air. And um, all of a sudden they feel this man grabbing them from behind. My goodness. Um, yes. Uh, very alarming for sure. Very alarming. So so Block Club spoke to several survivors. Um, their stories are very heartbreaking to read, first of all. Um, what did folks tell you about like what they experienced, not just during, but even after the assaults? So the first person that I spoke to, um, her uh, assault happened in May. And at first she didn't even report it because she said she didn't think that the police department would take it seriously. Um, and then upon uh, posting it and um, uh, online and like a neighborhood group uh, website, they if, neighbors started to gather together and realize I've also been assaulted by this man. I've had a similar situation and more people started to come forward and then more people started to report. But a lot of the difficulties included um trying to get through to 311 multiple women said that they were hung up on and one woman eventually just went into the police station um to to report her assault and another uh told me that she was having difficulties following up getting a, a detective signed assigned to her case and even trying to get updated after the man was arrested my goodness Mallory is this a common experience what what Melody is describing here a, a possible sexual assault not being taken seriously by law enforcement. Absolutely. Uh, Case did a report a few years ago called Too Little Too Late, um, all about CPD's response to sexual assault. And in that report, we pulled data, and about 80 to 90% of police reports for sexual assault had no follow-up, no next steps afterwards. So when I spoke with Melody, everything she said tracked for me. Mm-hmm case uh, put out a report called Too Little Too Late, the CPD's response to sex crimes. Can you talk more about what you measured, Mallory, and the data that you used? Yes. So it was really difficult to pull the data. Actually, first, let me say I was not responsible for pulling the data. Our amazing policy team did that. And we looked at police reports for criminal sexual assault Mm -hmm. and all related sex crimes. Well, first tell me, why did you say it was, was hard to do? Um, CPD, the criminal justice system, 
in Illinois, specifically Cook County, keeps data in ways that is difficult to pull and difficult to track. It is difficult, for example, to pull what happens when a police report is filed and follow that case all the way to prosecution. It's different sets of data. The prosecutor's office, CPD. Um, There isn't one centralized system where all the data is kept. So practically and logistically, it was difficult to pull everything. So um, what was the data that you ended up using specifically? So it was mostly from CPD because it was just about their response. And we looked at the police reports for five different categories of sex crimes for a few years to see which ones ended up going to the next level, Mm -hmm. which means bringing a suspect in for an arrest and reviewing the case for felony charges, and then how many actually got approved for felony charges, which, again, like I said, was pretty difficult to track, and the numbers were astonishingly low. And when Melody and I spoke, I said, I wonder what those numbers would be like since we are in COVID if we pulled them recently. Mm -hmm. I would not be surprised if it was a higher number of police reports that went nowhere. Yeah, you found that the rate of reporting sexual assault has actually gone up in the past decade. Yes. Which, that surprised me. Uh, What do you attribute that to? Laws. So in 2017, I believe, the Sexual Assault Incident Procedure Act was passed, and it mandated that officers have to take police reports for sexual assault. I remember when I first started a case, sometimes, like Melody said, calling 311, you weren't able to get in. You would call 911 and ask. Officers would not necessarily be willing in all instances to come make a police report. And I think also social media, Me Too, society, um, the conversations about sexual assault just became more open and fluid. Oh, my goodness. Um, The rates of arrests and sexual offenses, as you said, they've not gone up proportionately in comparison to other violent crimes. Can you explain your findings there? In 2019, there were 495 murders reported, for instance, right? And over 2,000 sex offenses. Uh, There were 130 murder arrests and only 140 arrests for the sex crimes, which is wild. I wish I could explain it. I don't actually have an explanation. I think some of it has to do with society. I'm always going to blame society and their response to sexual assault. My boss often calls it the monster myth about who perpetrators of sexual assault actually are when statistically most perpetrators are acquaintances. Acquaintance rape statistically um, outweigh stranger rapes, for example. And I think those kind of misconceptions bleed over into police response. It is not just CPD. It is a national problem with how law enforcement responds to sexual assault. Well, Melody, what did the CPD have to say when you reached out for comment? Um, They didn't really have anything to say. Um, When I had brought up some of the difficulties that a lot of the survivors told me about, they had no comment. Um, And then with the survivor that I had most recently um, been talking to, you know, she gave me her case number and I requested what charges are in relation to this case number. And they responded, well, we can't really tell you yet. Um, We're we're still investigating. We are, uh, we we still need um, to basically figure out if this man is connected to her case. Um, But, 
even though that the survivor had said she was she was adamant that uh, that this was the man that had assaulted her and had previously been in contact with CPD to possibly come into a line, come in to identify him in a lineup. Yeah. And um, just never received a response to come in. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and we're talking about a series of alleged gropings that took place in downtown Chicago and what came next for the victims of those sexual assaults as they reached out to law enforcement and began the healing process. Uh, I want to jump back to you, Mallory. I know you you gave that great um, uh, quote from your boss a moment ago, but what else do you think needs to change about just the way that law enforcement agencies handle these claims of sexual violence? Oh, that's such a big question. The first step, I think we have to acknowledge, the criminal justice system was not made for survivors. It was not made for victims at all. doesn't matter what kind of crime you're talking about. But the crime of sexual assault specifically, the trauma related to it makes it even more important to acknowledge that the system was not made for survivors. I think having transparency and clear communication one of the difficulties survivors often have is this system is difficult to navigate and there are few people that are there just for the survivor to help them understand. Um, Right now we know CPD is very short-staffed and limited resources. And so when you're dealing with a topic and in a system that is already not made for survivors Mm. and then you are short-staffed and short resources, it's truly a recipe for disaster. And I think that's why survivors related to this groping situation are struggling and having the experiences that they are. Yeah. You see, the system is difficult to navigate overall for for these survivors. So if there was one thing that you would say that that CPD or any suburban police department could do today to better protect survivors, what would that one thing be? Listen. I think just listening. Almost every survivor I've spoken to and represented in court, no matter what the outcome of the case was, individuals that listened to them Mm -hmm. and made them feel heard, made the process easier and more tolerable. One detail that stuck out to me, Melody, um, in your your story, uh, the survivor story that you reported yesterday was she had to repeat her story four times. Four times. She said she had to repeat it four times. um, And they took her information down and created a report and then eventually went and and she said she went into some very graphic details which I won't share in the air but um she uh said you know she explained it four times eventually when a uh detective was assigned to her case um that detective called her and said I just need more details again about yourself because basically said what's it, what's listed here is is that your assault was basically just a butt slap and she said describing it in that moment that she's like I really felt like they didn't listen to me I felt like a joke I felt um, did she feel like she wasn't believed in a way you know she said I just I feel like a joke I feel like this is not being taken seriously Um, it was more than a slap I've been slapped on my butt before and this was way more than that and way more invasive just a butt slap he said exactly it seems to me Mallory and I'm no expert Having to repeat a story like that four times, however many times, that sounds like it could re-traumatize an individual. Absolutely. At the very least, it's frustrating. Mm -hmm. It's exhausting. What do you think? Oh, yeah. When 
So one of the things that the legal team at CASE does is represent survivors in the criminal justice system. And we can start that representation at the filing of the police report all the way until the case goes to trial. And one of the things we do is try to limit the story, the amount of times that the survivor has to tell their story. Um, The law I spoke about earlier says that when an officer takes a police report, it should be pretty bare bones. That particular police report Mm -hmm. maybe should have had some more information. But one of the reasons why you want it to be bare bones is to not traumatize the survivor to tell the story so many times. Um, Theoretically, we prefer for the detective interview to be one of the first times that the survivor tells the story. And if the case is charged as a felony, at felony review. When the prosecutors come in, that is another time the survivor should tell the story. And we like to wrap it up there until trial because, again, the re-traumatization is absolutely happening. It's a real thing. I want to note, uh, Melody, that there were two other individuals that you spoke with um, who eventually had a better experience with detectives. What were their stories? Um, so those were the two individuals that said they, they initially had a really hard time getting through through the 311 number and following up with uh, a detective. But they said once their cases were assigned to the detective that's actually been looping all of these cases together, that their experience did dramatically improve and said that they felt that the person assigned to their case was really dedicated and they did feel that. But um, again, there are other survivors sort of waiting to get into that space to feel that like specialized attention that just haven't gotten that yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we I, th- I feel like we also can't deny that um, a lot of this sort of became fast tracked after um, a lot of the media began to pick it up and and. Everyone started to see this man's face everywhere mm-hmm. um, and, recognizing, and, and him. recognizing him. Yeah. It's funny that those differences in, in experiences all from the same department, right? So it, it seems so person to person. Yes. Why mm-hmm. isn't everybody trained to treat this the same way mm. is what's at top of mind for me. Uh, later in our show, Mallory, we're going to talk with someone named Char Rivette. Yes. Right. From the Chicago Children's Advocacy Center. Uh, It's got a new project called Can Hope, and it aims to uh, centralize services for survivors of domestic and sexual violence. From your vantage point, and you've alluded to this already in our conversation, how difficult is it for survivors to access the services that they need just to heal? Oh, my goodness. Such a big question. It is extremely difficult. I'm really excited for the Can Hope Project. CASE is a part of it and so many other agencies that help survivors um, getting actual physical access, transportation to these agencies, understanding the criteria that that these agencies have for accepting cases. It can be really difficult for a layperson to navigate. And so we are really excited for the Can Hope Center to centralize all of those resources. And you said case is a part of it. I'm curious what those early discussions look like behind the scenes as you get together and you're like, okay, what do we need to do, first of all? What do we need to prioritize? Where do we begin? Mm-hmm. One of uh, We actually had a meeting yesterday about this, and the conversation for us was, what is missing for survivors? Sometimes it's access to resources. Mm. One specific resource we talked about a lot was housing. Um, 
Some survivors want to engage with the police. Some survivors want to do restorative justice. What are the options for both of those groups of survivors? So those are the types of conversations we've been having, and there will be many more in the future. Yeah, looking forward to it. Looking forward to my chat with with Shar in in the next hour of Reset. So what comes next in this case, Melody, and your reporting on it? Um, so I, I've continued to follow up with this particular individual and you're staying in touch with survivors. Yes. Yes, I have been and just checking in to see how they how they are um, in the process. And then the particular survivor mentioned in the most recent story, um, trying to, you know, make sure um, it will when she receives her police report and sort of um, when they will loop her into the case and when she will see uh, see some more um, action on her side in terms of uh, being more involved. I know that Mallory and I talked about next steps um, and, and whether or not, you know, she might be contacted as the case goes forward uh, to try to loop her back in. But no, we've yeah. definitely stayed in contact. That's great. You know, as we wrap up here, Mallory, I wonder if you could give advice to folks listening right now, um, maybe people who are reporting a crime like this, new or old, mm-hmm. what approach should they take? Or, or is there a resource that you want to throw out there right now? Yeah, I would say the Rape Crisis Hotline is an awesome resource. They are the most centralized hub in Illinois to get access to an attorney like the ones at Case or a rape crisis advocate or any kind of case management that an individual may need. The system, again, is very difficult to navigate and wasn't made for survivors. And so any resources that an individual can have can be extremely helpful. While you're here, I got to get your thoughts on um, the importance of the R. Kelly trial Mm -hmm. and um, whether you think it might bring more attention to the work of case. Oh, absolutely. I think it's an important moment for survivors to know. I mean, I'm born and raised in Chicago. The story is about R. Kelly. Um, So this hits hits different. (laughs) Yes, it, it absolutely hits different. It's an important moment to know that survivors, especially black and brown survivors, uh, they matter and they too can be a part of uh, getting justice and accountability. Yeah. We've been speaking with Mallory Littlejohn from the Chicago Alliance Against Sexual Exploitation and Melody Mercado for Block Club Chicago. Thank you both. Thank Thank you. you. Want more context on the top issues of the day? Find the podcast WBEZ's Reset wherever you listen.